As a business owner of an aquaculture company, how can you take the first step to be profitable and sustainable at the same time? That's what we're going to be talking about in these episodes. Hello, and welcome to the Business of Aquaculture podcast. This is the podcast for the sustainable business movement in the aqua farming and ocean ranching industries. This podcast aims to amplify the voices of entrepreneurs addressing the United Nations Global Goals, aka Sustainable Development Goals, number 14, to conserve and sustainably use the oceans and the seas. Listen in to fellow business aquaculturists in their journey in this new model of food production of making their business sustainable and help the ocean's ecology while also making a profit all at the same time. Get inspired to learn how even small to medium businesses can make an impact to save the seas, leave a legacy, and have a better quality of life. One of our goals is you take away a nugget of wisdom that will help your business move from the industrial revolution to business 5.0. Our vision is that of collaboration in the aquaculture industry. I'm Lourdes Gant, your host. As an aquaculture business, how do you balance market demand, protect and preserve the local marine ecosystem, and provide jobs to a challenged local economy all at the same time? This episode is dedicated to answering that question. So listen in and I hope you enjoy this episode. If you listen to episode 13, Susan Parker Harrison talked to us about some solutions in implementing practical advice to make aquaculture governance more effective. Welcome to episode 14, season 3 of the Business of Aquaculture. In this episode, let's welcome Rosalind Baitel. Welcome to the show, Rosalind. Thank you, Lourdes. It's nice to meet you and thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Rosalind is a partner in Panacea Aquaculture, a triple bottom line commercial sea cucumber aquaculture company on the Caribbean coast of Panama. Their mission is to meet the global demand for sea cucumbers created by depletion due to overfishing, to regenerate local populations of sea cucumbers with all their myriad environmental benefits, and to provide economic opportunities in impoverished Caribbean regions. Welcome again to the show, Rosalind. Thank you. So let's dive in. How did you get into the industry? I know we were chatting a while back before we started the podcast on how you got into it, but let's share it with our audience. Great. Thanks. So basically, I sort of fell into this. I do have a background in biology, and that is actually what brought me to Panama 37 years ago. I used to teach in the schools that were for the canal zone and the military bases. So through that teaching and through my location in the Cologne province, I, along the way, married a Panamanian from that area, and we have coastal beach property on the Caribbean. So for 20 years, going to this area and seeing a proliferation of sea cucumbers on the ocean floor right in front of our property, basically in our backyard, it was curious to me. Then in 1999, I took a scientific expedition to the Galapagos Islands, and one of the lecturers told us the importance of sea cucumbers, their scarcity and why they were becoming scarce, their benefit to the environment, and their economic value predominantly at that time in Asia. So I came back from that trip to the Galapagos, and I said to my husband, this is a no-brainer. We have to cultivate these animals and we have to take advantage of what we have here. So that's how I fell into it. And then it's been a 20-year course 
to find the right ingredients of the business partners, the permitting process, the government input, the regulations, and so forth. So it hasn't been short or easy, but we are on a very good, fast course to make this happen. I always like when my guests share with me how they got in this industry because of their partner, because I came the same way. And then here here we are 20 years later. I'm on my 14th year. (laughs) Oh, wow. Which leads me to my next question is, what's one thing you can share with business aquaculturists that can make a big difference in their organization? I know you already share a little bit already, I guess, the patience of staying there for a number of years, but maybe you have this one thing. Absolutely, Lourdes. In our case, location, 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 because you are very well versed in the business of aquaculture, which is something to me that's quite fascinating, because once you get the business model down, then it should be replicatable, correct? So when I say location, location, when you look at the aquaculture industry, there are basically five main reasons why businesses do not succeed. So let's address those quickly. And then I can tell you the challenges we face and why we think that we are surmounting those challenges. First of all, businesses fail because they're underfunded and undercapitalized. Well, we have so many cheerleaders in our court and so many people wanting this to happen that we think we're above that factor. Another factor is, of course, the human capital element. And so we have a dream team here in place. We have people in our team who have been in aquaculture for many, many years. We have the best consultants on the planet working for us. We have universities. We have biologists. So our human capital, we think we're doing pretty well. The government in Panama is very favorable to our project. And they have really bent over backwards to facilitate our permitting process, our research and investigation permits, and our strategic alliances, both within Panama and outside to make this happen. And then other reasons they fail if the science and technology is faulty. So we're really trying to work on that. And right now we're in that research and development phase Remember, we're in, pardon the pun, or yes, the pun, uncharted waters. So we have access to some very good science and technology, and we're keeping very accurate data. And then, of course, the fifth reason aquaculture companies fail is a force majeure, right? A tsunami, a hurricane, a tornado, anything outside of our control. And if you look at the map, Panama is quite out of most of those areas. We don't have hurricanes. We have very little seismic. So we think that we have all the ingredients to really make this happen. And that's why I say location, location, location. Another thing, if I can brag and plug our country of Panama, they are extremely favorable to foreign investment. And there are a lot of incentives in place. We are not the only aquaculture game in town. And actually from BC, We're very friendly with a company that had large roots in BC that is raising cobia. That's actually a vertebrate, as you know, a fish. But their biggest technicians and knowledge base came from the BC area, from the salmon industry. So our Panamanian government is very favorable. And for a lot of other reasons, if you look up Panama, such as our duty-free incentive laws, 
our being on the U.S. dollar. We're a hub of the Americas. Obviously, we have the canal. We have two oceans. So for a myriad of reasons, we think location, location, location is probably one of our biggest advantages. Oh, I just love all those that you shared. But I think I missed one. So um, five reasons companies don't succeed. They're underfunded. They don't have a dream team or lack of human capital. And then not enough science and technology. And you have force majeure. What was the other one? I think I did. Government regulation. So a lot of times what happens, especially in aquaculture, especially if you're outside of your native country, the local governments can put many obstacles and problems. Unfortunately, a lot of times the local politicians think, oh, this company is making millions. Let's try and make them <laughs> pay more or whatever. And in our case, we have the big advantage in that we have had aquaculture in our area, algae farming, the cobia processing plant and the research there. So our local politicians are very used to aquaculture. So by adding the sea cucumber component, they're very favorable because they know we're giving jobs to the local people and we're training them in something that they can do. Well, obviously, I missed the biggest part. Government strategic alliance is one of the most important thing, I think, in this industry. And I'm so happy that you mentioned that because I haven't been to Panama and I don't know how many people from our audience and our listeners have been to Panama. And I came originally from the Philippines, as most of our listeners know. And once they hear a certain name of the country, there's a connotation that it may not be safe. And it's so fascinating to hear someone locally because most of those news normally is sensationalized. So this is kind of what I'm hearing here. So hearing how your strategic alliance and your government favored company in Panama is like music to my ears. <laughs> is there? Absolutely. Yeah. And so is there one thing that you can say how the government has become this way because I'm sure anybody can relate from other countries where the situation is not the same. Did you do one thing while your company became government favor? Maybe a tip to some of our listeners on how that Perfect. happened. Absolutely. So when you look at Panama's history for a hundred years, we had a very, very strong United States presence. When I moved here, you're from the Philippines, so you're going to get this. When I moved to Panama in 1985, we had 13 U.S. military bases here. So when you mention safety and security, I have always felt very safe in Panama and not just personally safe. I'm originally from New Orleans. So, <laughs> you know, consider we, we I come from a little bit of a crime related city. But Panama, when I say safety, relatively in the region, we have had a reputation of being a little bit more stable politically and whatnot than our neighboring countries. Yes, we have our challenges. Of course, we are a hub of the Americas, which is a good thing, right? We have planes flying in and out from all over. Our airport is international. But being a hub of the Americas comes with some negative things as well. Yes, we have issues with the migrants coming across the border. Yes, we have issues with using Panama's lax laws for financially. And we have some issues with drug and contraband trafficking. But how do we mitigate that? Well, the government is very favorable to other cutting edge businesses that they know will employ the local people and get them a decent wage and not be participants in the illicit and illegal things. So when we started on the path of panacea, we had the big advantage of being able to piggyback on 
this company I was telling you about called Open Blue that was operating in our area for over 10 years. Open Blue, actually, they occupied early on the hatchery that we now occupy at Panacea. So we had a very good collegiality and already a base for that aquaculture. So to go to the local politicians and say, look, now Open Blue has become so successful, they actually moved outside of our area because they got so big. So we're now going to come behind and we're going to use that same facility to raise a different species. So the the government said, great, we're going to be on board. And at the top levels as well, as you may know, sea cucumbers are an endangered animal. And so people are going to ask me, well, how do you get around that worldwide ban? And that was an obstacle because Panama was a signer on the treaty that said we couldn't touch them, we couldn't do anything with sea cucumbers. The reason Panama signed that ban is somebody told them to sign it back in the 90s. And yes, we had sea cucumbers, but Panama never commercialized them. So when we got on this fast track to research, develop, and with the aim of commercializing, hyper-producing them, processing them, and exporting them, the Panamanian government said, okay, let's do this. And they worked with us to draft a legislation that is giving us an exclusivity as a research and development company, and they monitor us. The government entities come and monitor us very frequently to make sure that we are sticking to the environmental practices and that we are restoring the adults to their native habitat, that we are augmenting the population, and that we are within our limits as far as the area and the population and the sea cucumber numbers. So that's how we've gotten into this strategic alliance with the government. And if you go on our website, you'll see that our CEO has won awards from the Panamanian president back in November. And it's been a very, very good alliance. They are very favorable to us because, like you mentioned, the worldwide news looks for any excuse to promote bad news and Panama gets slammed under the bus. And so by us promoting good news, everyone wins. Oh, I'm just drooling. I wish I'm in a location where it's like that. We have some advantage and disadvantages to our location, but maybe one of the things that will really help me understand better and our listeners as well is not all countries have aquaculture for the species that you specialize in, sea cucumbers. So one of the things that in my location has been a challenge was in terms of how the sea cucumbers actually go different places. And so there's this question of containment. Do you have any insight about that? How does your sea cucumber species in Panama, do they move around a lot? Is there containment and non-containment issues in terms of geography on how it's being monitored? Okay, good question. Well, as you know, a sea cucumber is almost practically a sessile animal in its adult stage. It moves very little. But coincidentally enough, going back to the government input, in 2017, that was a year before we formed our actual company, the Panamanian government did an environmental study on the feasibility of hyper-producing sea cucumbers. And they targeted several locations on the Caribbean coast of Panama. And our area is one of those locations that they targeted. And the reason being, 
We are located in a bay. So if you look us up and you go to the video on our website, we are in an area called Linton Bay. And that area is in and of itself a contained area. We have a marina on one side, which helps us with security and vigilance. And we have a local fishing community. But the bay, the natural geography of the bay, allows for its own basic containment of the species. Now, we're looking at about two to three different species that are native to the area. And you can find all this on our website. Uh, We're not trying to be all things to all people, and we're not trying to hyperproduce a species that is not native to our area. So we've narrowed it down to three species, of which one, we're having great success, so we're accelerating that in our research and development with the goal to add the other two that are also found in our area, but not in as great numbers. So just again, location, location, we happen to have this great geography that makes the area apt for the sea cucumber and they do not move around very much. So once we seed the grow out beds with the juveniles, we grow them in the hatchery to a certain weight then once we seed them in the grow-out beds, they move very little. Just wonderful, wonderful information. And one of the other things that I know you mentioned a while ago about five reasons how an agriculturist can't succeed, but I also learned in this industry that there are three, I guess, journey that people go through to be able to make this a success. And the first one is obviously the technical side of things, learn how to aquaculture the animals. Then second thing is get finished with the R&D stage and make a profit to commercialization. And then of course, the third one, which is the most important one, is how to make the species adapt so that it's helpful to the ecology of the surrounding area. So which leads me to my last question to you is share what's your biggest insight in the last, (laughs) I guess, three decades you've been in the industry. Well, I've actually been in the industry maybe only about five years as a partner in Panacea, but as a resident in the area and somebody with a biology background, I think right now we have such a great opportunity when you look at what is on the worldwide radar lately. It's all about climate change and ocean acidification and the blue economy and putting marginalized people to work at something they can succeed in. So I think all of those factors have come together at the right time. And our challenge is tapping into those one by one, getting our message out, getting enough people on board with our mission. And you mentioned the research and development phase, phase, which we are still technically in. And it is crucial that we get the science right, that we know the best feed, the best depth, the best algae. And this is what we're working on now. So I would also say our biggest challenges going forward, of course, COVID has been an interesting challenge because it has not allowed our consultants, because we're the only hatchery who's gotten this far in all of the Americas at this point, right? What you have in Canada, for example, although you do have sea cucumbers, from what we understand, correct me if I'm wrong, they're wild caught. Whereas what we're trying to do is hyper-produce the native species so that we have an ongoing sustainable population. 
So COVID has been a challenge because it has not allowed our consultants and our experts to actually physically get here. So we've had to do a lot of this by Zoom. But on the other hand, it's allowed us to network much more with our local universities and scientists and technicians. Panama also has the advantage of having a Smithsonian Tropical Research in an investigation office in Panama. So that's been a big help with science and technology. So we have industry challenges, but we think that, again, with those ingredients and the three factors you mentioned and the five I've mentioned, we think that going forward, we at least have the pieces of the puzzle in place so that the challenges that emerge, we have the tools to counteract them as they arise. Perfect. Perfect. And I know I mentioned that was my last question, but as a biologist, I'm just interested. How does the cultured sea cucumber help the environment? Maybe you can share that with us. Okay. This is great because basically I mentioned ocean acidification and some of these other areas. We have pretty good data. We also have the big advantage that Panama is a hub for nonprofits. A lot of environmental nonprofits are based in Panama. So we've had groups such as Mar Alliance, which is one of our biggest cheerleaders, and they do ocean monitoring. So they were able to tell us they've been doing studies in our area for over 10 years. So they handed us data of our water quality. So they have been able to say to us, look, this was your water quality before. Now, with the addition of more sea cucumbers, your water quality is actually getting better. Because remember, it's the sea cucumber that's the vacuum cleaner of the ocean and the ocean's filters. So now we can prove this. Alongside with one of our company benchmarks, we have a nonprofit immediately in our area called Reef to Reef Restoration. And they have been our big cheerleader in helping us with planting coral trees in our bay that augment the nutrient matter, because it's the restoration of the coral that brings about the more sea life and the more fish. And of course, the more fish poop, (laughs) the more the sea cucumbers are happy and it filters down to them. So it's those environmental challenges that we are meeting head on with the nonprofits and with the science and technology. And our data is showing an increased health in the bay as a result of the increased numbers of sea cucumbers. So it's a win-win. Oh, this has been so enlightening, Rosalind. One of the biggest takeaways that I got from our conversation today is about how important to diversify in terms of location, location, location. I know you stress that enough, but I wanted to stress that again. And I would be happy to have a conversation with your government, maybe have a talk with our Canadian government on how we can actually move ahead with the sea cucumber aquaculture here in Canada. Because as you mentioned, we don't have it here, especially in the West Coast. And so we've been left behind, sadly. But I think the time is right now to have this collaboration, not just regionally, but from one country to another, because to all our listeners who heard me talking about the trends in terms of what's happening in the next 10 years is there's this collaboration, strategically alliance, you mentioned collaborations and all these new things that will move us ahead as an industry, not just from one company to another. So maybe you can share with our listeners how they can get in touch with you. Oh, perfect. I'm very happy to be a resource. 
So my email is Rosalind, R-O-S-A-L-I-N-D, at panacea.io. That's our website, www.panacea, P-A-N-A-S-E-A. You like the pun on the name, right? We're a panacea. We're helping the world. But we're also Pana, Panama, and C, the Caribbean Sea. So panacea.io. And then email me. And then I'm also on WhatsApp. 507-6612-4381. I'm on LinkedIn under Rosalind Bytel. So you can definitely find me there and Facebook as well. And my Instagram is Roz Panama, R-O-Z Panama. So I have a lot of ways that people can reach out to me and I'm very happy to continue the conversation. Very happy that the aquaculture world is a collegial world and not a competitive world. And I think that's also a very important message Again, with the location, location, we are very happy in Panama to further those conversations. You mentioned the Canadian embassy. We're very friendly with the Canadian embassy in Panama and vice versa. Our Panamanian ambassador to Canada is a friend of mine, and she's, of course, located in Ottawa, but she is very also very on board with what we're doing. So those alliances at the government level are extremely important, and we have all of those in place in Panama. Perfect. Perfect. Well, to our subscribers, we appreciate your time listening to the show today. Remember to subscribe to the podcast, and when you have time, please leave a review. See you next week. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Rosalind. Really appreciate your time today. Thank you. Come visit. We will. (laughs) Thank you for listening, and I hope you are inspired from this episode. Do take a moment and share this with your friends and colleagues, and rate and review the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I'd love to know what your biggest takeaway from this conversation has been. What are you going to do differently? Please share your thoughts across social media and tag us. For links and show notes for this episode, visit our website, www.sustainableaquaculture.ca slash podcast. Thank you again. I hope you will join me on the next episode and together we can help create a better business in aquaculture.